What's up, my friends? My name is Andrew. I'm an alcoholic. So by God's grace, my sobriety date is October 20th of 2009. So if I make it a few more hours, I'll wake up tomorrow with nine years. And that's pretty cool. Um, uh, so I did. I think I did a pretty good job of keeping my mind absolutely blank. So I don't I have no idea what I'm going to say. But um, one thing I always like to say is, if you're a retread, don't feel bad. I've been to treatment 12 times, or as I like to say, once for each step. Because uh, I would get out and try to Burger King it, and you know I like this step and screw that one, and I'll do this, but I won't do that. And we all know where that tends to get us. Um, so let's see, I got sober when I was 21 and I'm now 30 years old. So good times. Um, I'm super nervous in case you can't tell. Uh, there's a prescribed format typically whenever someone tells their story and that is what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. Right? So I'm going to keep an eye on the time to make sure this doesn't turn into a drunk log but I'll do a little bit to describe for you what it was like. So um, I already hinted at that with the number of treatment centers, but uh, as funny as it is, alcohol is probably one-tenth of one percent of my getting messed up career. I preferred outside issues, but the solution and the lifestyle and the people and what I've found in AA um, is what I've always wanted. So this is where I come. And I sometimes go to other fellowships, but typically AA is where I'm at. Um, I'm going to try to keep as diplomatic mentioning of those party extracurricular activities to a minimum as possible. Um, It might jump out every once in a while. But um, I started using when I was 15, and I remember thinking most definitely like, ah, this is you know, this is what I've always, this is what's been missing, like the thing that's missing from me. Like there was something, um, I was incomplete. Like I definitely, I know it's cliche, you know, felt different from others, however you want to say it, but I just felt like I could not connect with people for the longest time. And then if I drink or smoke or, you know, do outside issues, then suddenly it's like those walls come down and I can be genuine and authentic with whoever I'm around and I don't care overly much whether they accept me for who I am or not. I'm pretty weird Mm -hmm. and come to realize that's pretty okay. Um, But yeah, I remember thinking like, oh yeah, I'm just going to drink and smoke the wacky tobacco a little bit and that'll, uh, that's all I'm going to do. And like, that's just, that's just it, you know? And But me being the kind of person that I am, it wasn't but six months later that I was exploring a whole, it was a whole new world and not the good kind like that Aladdin was talking about. It was a shit show from the very get-go. I'm definitely a blacker outer uh, to the maximum. I'll tell okay, so I will tell you all this. So like the first, this is the first time I went to treatment ever. Um, Me and my parents would go to Corpus Christi and all my parents' coworkers would go. This is over the summer. All my parents' coworkers would go, and all of their kids would go. And so, like, we're all around the same age. We all like to party a little bit. And I remember. And by this time, so I just graduated high school. Had our. I've luckily only been to jail like two or three times, um, and never for like any period of time. Uh, 
usually when I drink and use, I'm, lu- yeah, I'm lucky that I don't wake up in jail, but I will wake up with no shoelaces in a very special place where you can't leave until a doctor tells you you can. And that's just what happens to me. So like the last few times I wake up from a blackout with no shoelaces and I've got like a zip tie holding my pants on. And I'm just like, I know where I am, you know, like bust out the finger paint. Let's do this. Like it's, <laughs> we already know what's about to happen. Like let's play Pictionary or whatever, you know, and talk about our feelings or whatever. Um, but by long, I had long since been like, okay, if I, you know, stand on one foot and count to 11 between each shot of whiskey, then, you know, somehow, you know, by various forms of self-deception and experimentation, you know, it's like, oh, if I just do it like this, then somehow it'll be fine this time. And uh, I remember somebody pulling out a bottle of Jack Daniels, and I remember saying, I'll just take a couple shots. And then I woke up, and sunlight was streaming in this window, and I was like, ah, what the hell? And I went outside and proceeded to light my cigarette backwards, and with much confusion and like (laughs) anger be like what's wrong with this shit and relight it like several and proceeded to like smoke the entire filter Uh, somebody came up to me and was like hey drew you're not in your wheelchair anymore what's up man and i was like who are you where am i and what wheelchair is you be talking about and they were like you honestly you really don't know like so i was in i had i was in corpus christi it was now nine days later and i was in stephenville texas in treatment and i still don't know exactly what happened during those that magical time when I time traveled, but uh, <laughs> when my parents came to visit me, I was like, well, I've been screwing up for years. Like, why now? And they said, well, when you get home, we'll show you the videotape. So apparently I'm the star of America's most fucked up home videos. Mm-hmm. Times two, it happened again later on, one of the other treatment shenanigans. Um, that's why I said I'm going to keep an eye on the time. Because if, I, if I was going to tell you about treatment shenanigans, we'd be long past an hour before I'd I'd still be getting messed up and going to treatment by the time we get out of here so um, try to pinch that but um, so kind of what my cycle was for several years is I would go to treatment Um, I'm a very good treatment citizen I'm good at rehab so I'm good at school like I know how to do that Mm -hmm. and I'm really good at mental hospitals because you know you just sit there and watch tv and read and go to group and all that stuff, but, uh, yeah, so I would basically go to treatment, get out, and may or may not get a sponsor. Usually I did. Usually I would start working the steps. I would even get to the point of making amends, and I would even go around and make some amends, but I would never pray. I would never meditate. I would never really do any service, so basically... For like the first couple times I did like that Sia song, Chandelier, whatever, like one, two, three, drink, one, two, three, drink. Like I did that a few times. But then it got to be where it was more like I would even do a fourth and fifth step, usually pretty fearful, not terribly thorough. Sometimes actually I would tell everything. Um, but there's just no 10, 11, and 12 whatsoever. It was none. And so typically as the bell curve of mediocrity as I like to call it is I would get out of treatment and feel awesome because I'm not dope sick anymore and then my kind of like window of I guess grace or whatever it is you know is only open for so long and then before long I would hate y'all for being happy I would hate myself I would hate the grass for growing I would just hate everything and just be 
a miserable, cantankerous son of a bitch until I got kicked out of whatever halfway house I was living in or treatment center that I would, because not every treatment center I went to was 30 days. One was uh, one year and one was, and a couple were 90 days. Um, by the way, if you ever get the opportunity, well, hopefully none of us will, but if you ever find yourself in need of treatment and you have the opportunity to go to a behavior modification treatment center, just forget all about that and just go anywhere else like that is that is not fun at all like waking up at five in the morning and I'm like I want to get high or I want to drink and they're like you're gonna chop wood for hours and I'm like wow this is a fantastic treatment plan and it was on like 5,000 acres and they were like mow this lawn and it was like so you're gonna go all the way down there like to the horizon and then you're going to turn around and come back and so it's like i'm going and going and it was in arizona so there's tarantulas and shit leaping out of trees it was just it was my version of hell really honestly it was, it's terrible um but anyway but so my pattern basically was i would get out of treatment but i would do nothing to further any kind of relationship with a power greater than myself so I've heard people say they came to AA and like, oh, I'm home and this, that, and the other, but it's kind of hard to feel a part of when I'm the one guy doing the opposite or of what everyone else is doing, you know? So I came to AA and I still, for a long time, and still sometimes do if I'm wacky enough in the head, felt very much on the outside, and that's because spiritual liberation was happening all around me, and I was having none of it. Um, people were taking action and changing and forming new habits, and I wasn't. Um, so... I would pretty much get out of treatment and like drive around and or if I was lucky enough to have a car at the time, I would just like drive around and listen to zero and or just like something depressing as shit and just like <laughs> proceed to do nothing and then be miserable and then get messed up again. And that's kind of what I did. Um, but then in 2009, I went to my 11th treatment center and I moved to Kerrville. Some of y'all may be familiar with Kierville. And I went there, and my sponsor at the time said, I challenge you to actually pray and meditate every day for two weeks. Don't miss a day. If you miss a day, you have to start over. And just like when I was 15, running around with that drink in my hand or that smoldering joint in my hand, being like, did y'all know about this? You gots to try this. <laughs> so also was I, like, about prayer and meditation. Like, I definitely was a card-carrying atheist, and my favorite thing to say when I got here was, if you believe in God, you're a weak-minded sheep letting the church control your life. So I was I was an atheist, and I was an offensive atheist. Like, I love to offend people and just be as sacrilegious as I could. We were playing volleyball, you know, out in Kerrville, like all these recovery people in a church group rolled up, and I and when you serve the ball, it's typically a good idea to say like hey i'm serving the ball so you know people will stop talking to because you know we all got add or whatever so like <laughs> you know people are over here making a sand castle and then a ball hits them in the face you know it's a good idea to say something so i, I yelled hail satan like right when i started the ball, <laughs> because i'm an asshole and like i proceeded to like weep at my own cleverness and like not another single person laughed at all and like that's just kind of how i was like i was an asshole like just a weird asshole and sometimes it was funny at least in my opinion most of the time other people didn't care for it too much um but so when i act so i every morning would get up and pray and meditate and i was like there's nothing there i'm talking to thin air this is bullshit but i did it anyways and that 
is what I love about this program is it meets me wherever I'm at. And so that's one thing I'm always fond of saying to anyone in any meeting is no matter who you are, where you've gone, what you think you've become, or how unredeemable you believe you are, um, there is no reason whatsoever why you ever have to drink again, even if you want to. Um, I definitely, so I got sober in the Salvation Army, and the Salvation Army is a Christian organization. Therefore, if you're living there for free, you will be in their church on Sunday or they will ask you to leave. That was not exactly my bag, but I did it. I did what was asked of me. Um, but I certainly felt like if there was a God, he was like, what is this foul creature doing in my house? <laughs> and slowly but surely over time, that has changed. And so that's, to me, part of the beauty of this program is that we are people who would normally not mix. And back in the day, um, I feel like the odds of those people mixing were probably pretty good because they were all old white men who were like upper middle class. Now it's definitely like all demographics, all socioeconomic statuses, all walks of life are represented in these rooms. So definitely people who probably would not meet. And I'm so glad for that because I've met so many cool people. Um, now that said about my my nascent atheism whenever I first came into the rooms, I'm fond of saying now that God carries me, but he does it on y'all's shoulders. Um, I always hoped that, you know, I would like pray and meditate and then a heavenly voice would like boom in my head, like go to Wendy's. There's a detoxing dude named Carl there and you can help him. But that's not really how shit goes down, as y'all are aware. Um, typically, I hear something come from one of you or I'm just shown kindness and gentleness when I need it by one of you. And that's usually how God shows up for me. Um, so essentially, uh, every day in the afternoon, so now I'm kind of trans, so I feel like that's a fairly good rundown. I mean, I was homeless. I would steal your shit and help you look for it. I was popping car doors or screwdrivers. I was committing burglaries. I was a piece of shit, whatever you want to call it. That's how I lived my life before I got here. And for whatever reason, and I, I can only attribute it to grace, but I mean, obviously nobody works this program perfectly, right? So there's been many times, countless times, that I've been unkind, unloving, very selfish, an asshole, even while sober, without the excuse of drugs and alcohol or sleep deprivation, as the case may be. And for whatever reason, whatever there is, I long since have given up attempting to understand God. Um, Something loves me enough that I haven't had the obsession to drink or shoot dope or steal stuff in several years now. Um, and I don't know why I was given so many chances and why I'm lucky enough to get to sit here with y'all tonight and some people don't, many people don't make it. Um, I have had a number of friends commit suicide or overdose. I think we all have, you know, to some degree. And, but I've also attended weddings and you know, gone there, been there when friends that I got sober with, you know, had their second, third child and gotten to do all that kind of cool stuff. Um, but basically, yeah, there was, a at the, at the Salvation Army, there was a couple of hours each afternoon that we were just kind of left to our own devices. So I decided to use that time to get a sponsor. And luckily Kerrville is very small. So he lived like a five minute drive away from the shelter and so pretty much every other day he was willing and so was I and he came out and we just went through the book page by page and did what it said. That's how simple it was. Not easy, 
but that's how simple it was. When it said pray, whether I felt like it or not, I prayed. When it said make a list, I made a list with him and then went over it with him. Um, and that's, that's what it took. Um, and so my parents, you know, this last time when I was stuck in a, I put this the AA way, just like a weird house where people go and like nothing good happens. I was just like in one of those houses for a while. And, uh, my parents are like, well, you've, you've sucked us dry. Congratulations. Like we have no money left. Luckily my dad's an employee of the state of Texas. So I, um, he had really good insurance and because I was young, I was still under his insurance. That certainly helped. Um, but they were like, you've sucked us dry. Like we have no money left. We borrowed against our own retirement last time. So they loved me almost to death, you know? Um, and I just said, just take me to the shelter. I don't even care anymore. And so it was just me and a bag of clothes and the floor of the homeless shelter, which is where I detoxed. That was lots of fun. Um, and that's what needed to happen. And luckily for me, I used my time wisely that the, the, the Salvation Army program in Kerrville is different from all the big cities. It's a 90-day ministry kind of thing where, and luckily, uh, the guy who taught all the groups was in recovery and didn't push the other ideology of the Salvation Army on us ter terribly heavily. He just pretty much focused on the big book and the 12 and 12. And so we would study those things, have discussion about what our experience was like. They would take us to a noon meeting, and then I would meet with my sponsor and when my 90 days were up, they were like, son, you've got issues. Do you want 90 more days? And I said, yes, please. Um, and so I stayed for 60 of those additional 90 days. I ended up getting a job at a local plastics factory. Everybody has a get on your feet job. It's not always glam, but that's what it was. And so then I moved into a recovery home and I lived there for about eight months. So when I had a little over a year sober, I um, mean, so during this time, like I said, you know, I went through the steps of my sponsor, page by page, step by step, and we did this together, right? And there was an, a really, like, I was almost moved to tears. Like, when we turned page 164 together, like, that was definitely a sense of accomplishment. And, like, that, I mean, I, of course I had various spiritual experiences as the process went on. There, there's, a little, there's a little paragraph at the beginning of this. I, I like to summarize things. Like if I can condense down something to its essence and like somehow state it in an easy couple of sentences, like I always like that, like regardless what the thing is. And at the beginning of the 12 and 12, there's this paragraph that says something to the effect of, I might get this a little off, but the 12 steps are a set of principles, spiritual in nature, that if practiced as a lifestyle will expel the compulsion to drink enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. And I was, so that was like one of the first promises I was given. And I was like, that sounds like that, like I want that. And certainly my prejudices against the higher power, notwithstanding, I mean, like after enough times of homelessness and after enough times of thinking snipers were trying to kill me and running from imaginary police and various other activities and enough psych wards, um, this time I was like, fine like you say god is the answer like how do i do this god thing and like so i didn't even care anymore when i came in this time um but one thing especially the prayer and meditation like whenever i say something is like this oh this is one of my favorite parts of the book or this is one of my favorite parts of the program typically that's because it highlights a weakness in my regimen and then when i turn my attention to that and actually begin rigorously 
applying that as a lifestyle, I notice pretty swift and pretty profound gains, right? And so for me, you know, prayer and meditation has always been, it's one of the first things I'll start slacking off on, you know. I've always been a great meeting attender for the most part. But so one of my favorite parts of the book, and it does come after the first 164, God forbid, um, but um, in acceptance is the answer, not the most famous paragraph, but when he talks about his magic magnifying mind and how it amplifies whatever he focuses on. And then he goes on to say after the very fa- at the end of the very famous paragraph, I need to focus not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. And I noticed that for whatever reason, consistent prayer and meditation along with, because that was the thing that was always missing for me. That was the thing I wasn't willing to do. Um, take that and add it on to the three-fourths measures or whatever you want to call it I had done for the last several years. And now we're cooking. And one day I was just, I was sweeping the front steps of the homeless shelter and that wasn't a chore. That was just like, that was kind of like my first service type stuff is like, so whenever... Whenever I got resentful, which obviously happens when you live at the Salvation Army, the food sucks and, uh, and this dude's blowing a cigarette. Sm- I mean, I smoke, but like, damn, this dude smokes like way too much. He blows it in my eyes, in my freaking <laughs> eyes, y'all. Like my freaking eyeballs hurt from getting the smoke from this dude. Uh, and um, so, you know, or like whatever dumb shit it is. Uh, but so, oh, I have a resentment. What do I do? So I'm going to follow those 10 step instructions, you know, ask God to remove it discuss it with one of my peers, you know, or my sponsor, make amends if, if, if I said some shit that I shouldn't have said or did something I shouldn't have done, and then turn my thoughts to someone I can help. And usually what that looked like is my sponsor would be like, I see some trash in this parking lot. Why don't you pick that up? So I was like muttering to myself as I picked up like trash and cigarette butts in parking lots. And, but I took that with me to the, like from the coffee shop to at the homeless shelter. And I would just pick some, find something that needed to be cleaned and clean it. And one day I was just like sweeping the front steps of the homeless shelter and I realized that I was perfectly content and okay with the way things were at that moment. And of course it was a much simpler time. I didn't have a job. Uh, I didn't have a career um, at that point. Um, So life was much simpler, but that was kind of when I was like, whoa, okay, I'm actually okay with myself. Like that's never been a thing for me ever. Like, you know, they say there's people that, like, they're either, like, um, I'm butchering this horribly. It's in the 12 and 12 where there's, like, people that, you know, think they don't need an inventory. My shit doesn't stink or I don't have a problem. And then there's people that have that pride in reverse. I'm definitely a pride in reverse kind of guy. I've been called Eora a number of times. Um, one one counselor at, at a treatment center said, you must just be whale shit on the bottom of the ocean, huh? That's And so I typically will really take things and turn it on myself. That's just, that's what my pattern is. Um, and so for me to be okay with myself and like okay with the way things are at this moment was a monumental thing. And that's kind of when I saw like, okay, when they said, when I first showed up and they said, imagine your best possible life scenario, of course, because I had no notion of the realm of the spirit and because that aspect of myself had never been tended to whatsoever. Of course, I thought like, oh, I could have a mansion and I don't know, a helicopter or some shit. Like it was all material. You know what I mean? Like my imagination could only go in the dimension it had only ever existed in. And so when it talks, when the book talks about it will pay dividends if you just give it all away. 
Um, and so then of course I jumped into that. And so in my first two or three years sober, when I was living in Kerrville, I did the whole, like, um, sponsoring seven people to like, to the point where I was doing them a disservice, honestly, by like being way too disheveled and like sleep deprived and working and doing all this stuff. And, um, so eventually I had to, well, some of them fired me cause I was, you know, not showing up for them like I should. And a couple of them, I just said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing you any favors here. And that's the funny thing is that my clown shoes ass, like speaking of shoes. So true story. One of the last times I went to treatment, I had one and a half shoes on my feet. (laughs) Somehow, I don't know how this happened, but I was homeless and all I had was a pair of dress shoes and the sole of my shoe had peeled off and was only attached at the heel. So it would flop every time I took a step. So you could hear me coming a mile away. Um, So they gave me a rubber band to like put on my shoes. It's just the very picture of patheticness. And, you know, like once you get that dope sick out and I'm strutting and ladies like, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, I think I'm 102 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal up in the treatment center. Just mentally ill as fuck, you know, just, just fucking terrible. Like just, just really, really pathetic. Uh, but anyway, uh, I kid only partially, but, um, but so I got into like, you know, doing H and I's and all these things that are suggested of us. And I noticed that just like it said in the book, like I could be in a place of despair just because, just because I got sober doesn't mean the world is suddenly a nice place. And, you know, I have a discharmed life and, and, bad things don't happen, you know, like friends have died and, and, uh, and, uh, our chairperson's aware of this, but, um, I was with this woman for six and a quarter years. We were engaged. Like I met her when I was two years sober. We were, it was a very serious relationship. We were engaged and she's one of us. And one day I came home and I was sitting there talking to her. I mean, we had a house together. I mean, the whole, the, the works, you know, like it was like, I was Captain Commitment, like I was down for the whole kit and caboodle. And I was like, do I smell alcohol in your breath? And then two empty bottles of champagne rolled out from under the bed. And that was the beginning of the end of that. And I don't want to go into all that, all that nastiness, but it wasn't good. And needless to say, like women or relationships are something I've relapsed over in the past. And I've had a couple serious relationships in the last nine years. And so there's just been, I think as time goes on, it's just like I gain more experience of life happening and me not having to take a drink over it. And that's just what happens. And so, you know, like I got, had my first relationship. I'm very proud of this, but I waited till I was like 11 months sober to get in a relationship, not because I'm virtuous, but because I was terrified that the same shit that I'd always done would happen again. Um, but, you know, got in a relationship. It didn't work out. I was all heartbroken. I'm very in touch with my feelings, in case you can't tell. Um, I'm weird like that, too. But that's always something that I would relapse over. And my reaction to these not good things happening was, like, drawing closer to my guy friends, going to more meetings, do, immediately doing, like, a comprehensive fourth step on probably just the relationship or whatever, you know, or whatever the mess is that, I, that has been made. And of course I had plenty to do with that. Like there's just because she relapsed and started drinking doesn't mean that there was not lots of mistakes on my part there. But so life has continued to happen. And for whatever reason, I haven't had the obsession to drink and use. So I can, I can just only attribute it to great, to the grace of something that I don't understand. And, uh, you know, 
I don't know if it's true or not, but by all accounts, what I've been told is that Bill W. and like the first 100, but especially Bill himself, was like a profoundly intelligent guy. Like, I don't know if that's true or if we're just glorifying our like leader here or whatever, um, our fearless or fearful leader, businessman, whatever. Um, but it's like they say, you know, and who can define or comprehend that power, which is God anyhow. And if Bill W. is saying that, I seriously doubt my ass on the, ca- on the couch with a bag of potato chips has seriously any chance of fathoming or understanding a power greater than myself. So I like that. There's a saying, I think it's like by Aristotle or something, that's like we are, our, our attitudes determine our existence, but our, attitu- our attitudes are also shaped by our habits. Therefore, excellence is a habit. And so for me, treatment and being in the Salvation Army for five months was a time and a place for me to formulate the habits that were suggested by you guys in these rooms that when I left and went to the recovery home, and then ironically, I met a dude who got sober on the same day as me, like not same day, different year, the same day, like we were drinking and shooting dope and homeless, like three miles apart from each other here in Austin and didn't know each other and then years later came together i ended up getting an apartment with that guy and uh, and that was awesome um and gosh just so much has happened i don't but so i feel like we've transitioned through what it was like that's a little bit of what's like what's happened and i've kind of started touching on what it's like now and so to be honest with y'all there is a period of time and so here's what like i said like i said earlier about the program meeting us where we're at Um, There's a reason I said that. So there was a period of almost two years where it's like, okay, when I was a kid, I wanted to be, I always wanted to be a software engineer. And somehow, like I want, I was fascinated by computers and like coding. And like, so somehow I went ahead and did that. And I've been doing that for the last five years. And that's, that's all well and good. But I was like going to college and like working as an engineer for the first time. And so suddenly, oh, all this, you know, sobriety became less of a priority thank god i didn't pick up but like suddenly i wasn't attending meetings as much as i was you know i'm going i'm going to school i don't have time for meetings and oh you know i'm I'm in this relationship with this woman and you know we're engaged now and so suddenly i'm still a very good excuse maker okay and there's a period of like almost two years where i essentially i mean like i went to meetings occasionally like you know like once a week or once every two weeks would talk to my sponsor but not meet with him. Like, I essentially stopped doing the stuff, right? And thank God I, I didn't pick up, and I didn't even want to pick up, but I did get to a point where I wished I was dead. And so that was definitely, like... And so I was sitting there, I was sitting on my couch with, like, five and a half years sober, and I heard about a dude with 17 years there when I was living in San Antonio that had gone back out. And I was like, how do people with years go back out? And then I sat there and was like... Well, let me reflect on my lifestyle for the last about two years now. It probably starts with what the fuck I'm doing right now. And I, what's funny is that during that time, I, who was so, was such an atheist and like such a, a loudmouth atheist at that when I got here, when I was the first three or four years I was sober, I was like lit up and passionate about like, no, God is love. He's here for all of us. He He wants good things for us. Like when it talks about the, you know, the, the script, it's like I, I came I thoroughly believed for a long period of time that the true director has a happy ending written for this actor if I can just stop fucking with the script long enough, right? And slowly but surely over those two years, I woke up one day and realized that I didn't believe in God anymore. And I was kinda like, huh, that's interesting. So I kinda like it all undid itself. 
Now, luckily, I didn't fall into any other weird, like, relapsy behaviors other than just, like, excessive Netflix watching or whatever. But, like, so it's not like I was out, like, you know, robbing banks or kicking puppies or whatever. I, was, like, I wasn't doing any, any, like, super crazy shit. I just wasn't doing much of anything. I was just existing. And so somehow with no, like, it's not like a catastrophic event happened, but I was just like, oh, crap, this is not good. Like, I don't have the defense that I had. And I was so passionate and I was so lit up and I was out there. And in Kerrville, you know, there's like three treatment centers within like a 20-minute drive of Kerrville. So I was like, I was going to all these different treatment centers, sponsoring all these dudes. All my sponsees had long since fired my ass, you know. And so I'm sitting there and like not happy. And suddenly it's like, oh, so I know I know something is wrong whenever I'm like, I don't know whose fault all this shit is, but I'll tell you whose fault it is not. And whenever I get to that place, that's usually like an indicator, okay, some, something's going awry right now. Like, And there's that axiom, the 12 and 12 talks about like whenever we're disturbed, there's something the matter with us, right? And I've heard another saying, and I've, in, in periods of extreme spiritual creaminess, I've like believed this. Typically, I'm not, I'm not on that level all the time, but like, tis nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And... There's been times where I've honestly saw, felt, and believed that I'm not sure if, if I've ever had a problem that actually originated outside of me. And so there's all these, like, the the cliches that, you know, live easy, but, you know, live and let live easy, all these things that, all these little cliches for me, and there's times that, just like the book says, uh, you know, experience is a thing of supreme value. And so I've had experience with those things, and that's the best teacher. So I'm, like, watching, you know, the book predicts what's going to happen to me if I do these things and do them well or do them ardently and and sincerely and so I had a period where I did those things and the book told my future and then I stopped doing those things and became a miserable son of a bitch and luckily like I said I didn't do a lot of crazy shit but for some reason so nothing catastrophic happened but I was just like this needs to stop like right now and so I you know like got another sponsor just because I, I Long story, but I just, like, didn't feel... I just felt like I needed a fresh start. I was like, bought a new big book, got a new sponsor, started going through the steps again. And I've since been... And so since that happened a few years ago, I've gone back through the steps two or three times. Um, but I can know all these... We can know... So I, I like to say I have spiritual amnesia. It's like... Or deja vu amnesia. I'm like, I think I've forgotten this before. And then, like, when I start doing these things and living it as a lifestyle, as is prescribed... Um, suddenly it's like these truths start coming to me again because I'm experiencing them again, right? And just this freaking semester, what do I do? So I'm working full time. Uh, I, you know, I moved back here and got a new job and with more prestige than ever. And now I'm senior engineer, whatever the fuck that means. I still to this day don't know what that means. Um, but so it's like, okay, I've got this cool job. And then I was like, okay, and I still need to finish my degree. So I took a bunch of classes I was getting my ass kicked and I and I realized that like it had been three weeks since I'd been to a meeting because it's in like what so what my life looked like until literally like three weeks ago when I dropped one of the classes because I was like I need to always have time for meetings I need to always have time for y'all and I was not making time for y'all again but this time I caught it a lot quicker but it's like what my life looked like is it's like go to work come home do homework fall asleep and then because there is so much homework Saturday and Sunday all day is just homework and so it's like I wasn't talking to anybody and so it's like who am I helping like what the fuck am I doing I'm not doing anything related to the thing that has given me the life that I have and so I had to send like so I mean 
mildly embarrassing, but I had to drop one of my classes because I was like, no, I need this needs to remain a priority always and forever because I wouldn't have any of the awareness of my own sickness were it not for y'all sharing it with me. Like when I go to, and so, you know, in, when I was going through the steps, um, and that like, you know, in step seven, when I asked God to remove my defects, I like most typical, you know, newbies, when I newly did that, I thought it meant like, ba-bam, like one day I'm going to just be like a be- the person I always envisioned myself that I could be like kind and loving and generous and self-sacrificing, but without the self-seeking part of it. Right. And, but what it, look at the wording of that prayer, like that stand in the way of my usefulness to you and to others. And so there's been times when I've not been doing what I'm supposed to do, or i.e. doing nothing. And I can be sitting in a meeting being a, a grumpy bastard and somebody can be like, damn, I'm glad I'm not doing what that son of a bitch is doing right there. So even in my shittiness, so it's like, I can't, it's like, even in my mediocrity, when I'm not doing what is prescribed by this program, I can still be useful by being an example of what not to do. Um, but yeah, so I mean, to be honest, uh, that that relationship ending, that I mean, that was the most significant. I mean, I've, I was with this woman for one-fifth of the years I've been alive, so that was, you know, uh, a big deal when I decided to leave and come back here. And to be honest, I'm still healing from that, so I still have, you know, moments of, like, intense sorrow and sadness but it's like, thank God I'm feeling something, you know? And I don't come to Bolden as much as I would like, but that's been, to me, one of the greatest things is that through all of those, like leaving aside just the vagaries of day-to-day life and, you know, life happening now, and I'm not drinking, but all those, I mean, I could make a freaking bandolier out of my desire chips, you know, from all those relapses. And every time I came back, y'all came in and were like, come in, have a seat. We're glad you're here. Have some coffee. You might want to shower, but have some coffee. You know, like uh, I was always welcome back to these rooms, always. And so that is one thing. And like this is a little uh, touchy subject, but um, so obviously, like uh, a kind of a weird thing that happened is I was uh, I was diagnosed with a movement disorder that's in the same family as Parkinson. So if you see me shaking, a it's because I am nervous, but b also it is because of that, right? And so it's like, oh, who'd have thought like chronic illness would find me? You know, it's like, damn, really? I start, like there was one time I overdosed and I died, like I died and was brought back and I woke up from a coma in a hospital with tubes coming out of every part of my body. And it's like to survive all that and then get a chronic illness. It's like, what the fuck? And like, I've heard somebody say at a meeting when we're using, it's like we're shitting in envelopes and mailing them to ourselves. And you never know when that turd-filled package is gonna arrive. And I guess one of those days it was my day, I don't fucking know, but I don't really know much anything, but all I can tell y'all is what I've experienced. And I've seen some of y'all smiling or some of y'all every now and then kind of like, maybe you identify with some of the shit that I've said. But that's what's so interesting about this is that despite my lack of answers, despite my inability to comprehend God, we can still make use of the tools that we're given. And so I always thought that understanding was a prerequisite for use, but now I know that I can just take actions and then suddenly my thinking changes. Well, obviously it's not suddenly, but it's like, and then over time my thinking changes. And so I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of running out of steam here, but um, I'm trying to think of any other relevant events 
in semi-recent times that would be good to tell you guys about. I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, no, really not thinking of much else. So I guess I just want to, so they say experience, strength, and hope, and I always want to be heavy on the hope. Because if a fuck-up like me can get it, 12 treatment centers, six or seven mental hospitals, you know, homeless, one-and-a-half shoe-having, you know, clap-flop, you can hear me coming down the hallway. Uh, one time in treat, I'd been in treatment for, like, two weeks, and somebody was looking at me really funny, and I was like, what? Like, what? And they were like, you realize you have vomit on your shoes still, right? And I was just like, oh, fuck. Like, I did not even know that. Like, I got arrested on the front steps of a treatment center. The police came and were like, just please go into detox. And I was like, fuck you guys. You're going to have to take me to jail. And they... They took me to jail, and eventually, finally, after, and, like, they were so nice. They were so patient. They were so nice. Oh, my God, these cops, like, the most patient cops you'll ever see in your life. And they were just like, dude, please just go into detox. And I was like, now, fuck you, take me to jail. And finally, after I, after I like, pointed in their, oh, yeah, no, apparently at one point, I pulled out a pencil and said, I'll kill you all. And they, they disarmed me, and the, the nurse reenacted it by saying they went, and took the pencil out of my hand. Because by that point, you know, I was, my eyes were pointing in different directions. But I, apparently, I got to jail, went into shock, and I've been in a coma a couple of times, but I went into shock, diabetic shock, and I'm not diabetic. But I guess if you don't eat and drink enough alcohol, weird things, you know, it's very confusing to ER doctors. I don't know what, what the fuck. But went into, went into a coma in jail, and so they came by and, like, did my blood pressure, and it was, like, 60 over 20, and so they were like, oh, shit. And so they took me to the hospital, and it was either press charges or it was either let me go or press charges and pay my hospital bill. So obviously, you know, healthcare, huh? So they were just like, get out of here, you know. But so like all this fuck uppery that I've that all of us at like the number. Do you, do you know how many banks are not getting robbed right now because we're all sitting here like? Just like, <laughs> like I was a hamburglar. Like the number of crimes not getting committed. Like society is literally better off for me being sitting here and I'm sure that to some degree I'm not going to speak for anyone else but that's to some degree applies to everyone else here but so I just want to be heavy on the hope and just be like if a chronic relapsing mentally and physically ill you know person who literally can't hold still like it's a miracle I'm sitting this still usually I'm shaking pretty bad but um anything is possible with God all things are possible and so I guess one of the last things I'll say is who gives a flying shit what I think or believe about God because my beliefs about God have never kept me sober, so they sure as shit are not going to keep you sober. I don't want you to have my experience. What my hope is for anyone here is that you have your own experience with something that makes sense and has meaning to you because just like, you know, what's the what's the thing people say? It's like you can read manuals on building airplanes like all day long, but until you actually get your hands dirty and do it, it's, you're, that experience is lacking, you know? So I would just hope that anyone here has a moving and meaningful experience with something that makes sense to them. And because I, I really feel like at the end of the day, can we sit down, can I, oh, I'm sorry, stop projecting on you guys. Can I sit down at the end of the day and be like, I'm proud of the way that I lived my life today. Like I'm, I'm pleased with the way that I conducted myself and how I treated others. Because before, someone could kick my ass, and they did, and take my dope or my alcohol or whatever, excuse me, 
and my solution is gone. But now my solution is in the way that I live and the way that I carry myself. No one can take that from me. I can only surrender it by doing nothing, which unfortunately I still do from time to time. Um, but all I can say is, as far as I'm concerned, God is good all the time. I am not, and I'm loved anyways. I don't know why, for what reason. But thank you so much for your patience, and I hope I didn't. One of the reasons my sponsor asked me to start, my previous sponsor asked me to record that is to be like, watch where you went off on a tangent of just like, what the fuck is he talking about for 12 <laughs> minutes? I hope I didn't do that too excessively. But um, thank you for your patience. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of my life today. That's about all I got. Thanks. Thank you.